Risk is a fact of life in business. It's also an ever-present reality in times of war. Though international supply chain issues and inventory stockouts have dominated headlines during the COVID-19 pandemic, the wars and armed conflicts that embroil 60% of the developing world, and now Ukraine and Russia, are a constant threat to commodity production, the flow of international supply chains, and the economic lifeblood of these nations. New research by Daisotel professor Juan Camillo Serpa looks at how businesses can shield their supply chains in the face of war-related risk, and how good international supply chain management keeps the door to peace open. Welcome to the Delve Podcast, the official thought leadership platform of McGill University's Daisotel Faculty of Management. I'm your host for this episode, Robin Fadden. Growing up in Colombia, a country that has endured the longest-running armed conflict in the Western Hemisphere, Professor Serpa experienced firsthand the effects of war and ongoing conflict on his family and community, as well as family businesses. His recent paper, Inventory in Times of War, examines how armed conflicts in Colombia affect inventory across firms' production facilities. Not only do inventory policies shift under the threat of war and during actual civil conflict, but these shifts ripple into international supply chains, affecting everything from businesses' economic stability to national food security in countries an ocean away from conflict. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Serpa. Thank you very much for having me. Your research is especially important today in terms of what's going on in the world right now with Ukraine and Russia, and for understanding the intricacies of international supply chains, whether we're looking at hydrocarbons in South Sudan, steel in Libya, sugar in Somalia, wheat in Ukraine, or oil in Russia. Your research looks at Colombia specifically, but has broad applicability. What initially led you to look at decades of inventory data from production facilities in Colombia during a time of conflict or war? I actually grew up in Colombia. I spent many years of my childhood in my uncle's farm. It was a sugarcane farm, by the way. And this farm was in the middle of the Colombian Civil War conflict. And what happened is that rebels would come to the region and sometimes attack infrastructure or steal the inventory across farms. So my uncle, just like business people in the region, had to figure out how do they produce their sugarcane, for example, How do they store it? How do they hide it sometimes? Or how do they transport it so that they could export it to international businesses? And so these attacks, as you can guess, would pose lots of problems. Some businesses would start to act very differently. And this story always stayed in the back of my mind. That's a visceral lived experience that your family went through. The war affected not only your family's lives, but their livelihood. It is a very personal story. And, uh, you know, when I left Colombia in my teenage years, I came to Canada, eventually pursued a PhD in operations management, which, by the way, it's the science that studies how business manage all aspects of their operations. So when I eventually turned into a professor, as I told you, I had this story in the back of my mind. By a different set of coincidences, I ended up partnering with a PhD student who was also Colombian, and we were able to collect uh, data from 38,000 production facilities in Colombia to study this in a systematic way and see what was going on. What did these data show you about the effect of war on inventories at the time? That was the biggest challenge because, as I told you, it was a personal story, but at the same time, that was only anecdotal evidence. I could feel that there was something going on and that firms were doing something different. Uh, I couldn't point out my finger exactly what makes war different as a risk that, say, a hurricane or a tornado. 
But I actually eventually figured out that war poses a very unique risk. When you think about it, firms usually use inventory as a hedge against risk, right? So I have more inventory because if there is a hurricane, I can use that inventory as a little cushion. But when it comes to war, inventory is used by insurgents or by rebels as a way to sustain war, to feed their armies. So inventory attracts insurgents just like honey attracts bears, right? Unlike war, a tornado doesn't attack more frequently or stronger where firms hold inventory. But the very act of holding inventory attracts risks. So that makes it extremely risky for a business and an extremely unique type of risk uh, compared to other types of geopolitical events. Regarding the current war in Ukraine with Russia, I'd like to touch on the part of your research that differentiates between different kinds of conflict and its effects, which you categorize in your paper. How does the Colombian inventory and supply chain data you analyzed map to other countries in conflict or war? Are there cases where it's more applicable or less applicable? That's a great point. And that's actually the first thing that comes into mind when many people read about my research and they say, is this just an account of the Colombian war? What I tell them usually is that what I found is that war has many faces, but it always punches with the same fist. If you think about it, even Colombia is not a monolithic country. It has a lot of different geographic areas. It has a lot of economic regions. It has a varied number of business sectors that produce from agriculture to textiles, diametrically opposed uh, regions. And I find that largely the behavior across an entire decade was always was systematically the same across almost every type of business, across almost every type of sector, bearing the difference I just mentioned about the supply chain. But you look at war itself, I looked at a database from 170,000 attacks worldwide in different wars, and they're very much like Colombian attacks and war behaves pretty much in the same way across any territory. After all, if you think about it, an attack is an attack. People still care about their businesses, about their safety, about their well-being, and about their profits, and will react to violence pretty much the same way as the conflict was in Canada or in the Ukraine or in Colombia. With this war, the Ukrainian war, I always put a very big disclaimer. And this war is an outlier, just much in the same way as COVID was an outlier when it came to pandemics or epidemics, mainly in two ways. And it's the, first of all, the way that businesses have reacted towards Russian hostility and in, also in the way governmental sanctions have crippled the current economic order and how there is a sense of fraternity that radiates towards Ukraine. So numerous businesses or numerous people have already shown their willingness to go out of their way to help the Ukraine and to punish Russia. So that makes me think that the way businesses or international supply chains might embrace Ukrainian goods is unlike goods coming from our war-torn regions. And for this reason, I'm somewhat cautious when it comes to particularly this specific war. The history behind the Ukraine-Russia conflict is embroiled in international interests, including trade and international alliances like NATO. And all of these issues shift not only the public's point of view, but how businesses decide to operate in this climate. Obviously, business is done differently at these times. But could you identify what the main priorities for businesses or firms should be during a time of conflict like this? I have seen that the biggest risk is psychological. And firms Right now, what there, there will be is a fierce 
a fear that good source from war regions will cease to flow. And what they do usually during the beginning of a war is they start changing their strategy business abroad, changing their supply chain strategies. And this anticipatory action unravels a chain of reactions and whole supply chains get disrupted, not because of war itself, but this anticipatory psychological fear of war that creates just as much damage as the war itself. So showing that actually, for example, businesses in in war-torn regions actually operate bearing some small differences, much in the same way that they, they did before the war, that provides a little bit, or I hope it provides a little bit of reassurance that Yes, war is very damaging. Businesses need to prepare. They need to understand this risk, but also that they're doing much more damage by the fear of anticipation than by the actual damage of war. It's hard not to have that fear, even though logically, if firms continued business as usual, they might do better than limiting themselves. But it's hard not to anticipate problems or to be motivated by anxiety around what might happen. Something that managers fear is that they are retaliated or they are pointed at for not taking action when there was a war. But having said that, there are things that they could do to take into account the risk of war. And that's a lot of long-term horizon inventory planning with their peers, as I already mentioned. Redoubling forecasting from Ukrainian source goods uh, or from war goods source from war regions more in general. That's a very good strategy. They shouldn't move away from their peers in war-torn regions. That only creates more problems. They should stay and stabilize demand patterns and, and actually create much stronger bonds with them that's going to make supply chains at the end of the day uh, more stable. And yes, they should find ways to, to get emergency shipments from other regions. That doesn't mean completely abandoning their, their peers in, in war-torn, war-torn land. As you said earlier, comparing war to a hurricane or tornado where the inventory gets destroyed is different. War is a more constant threat of business being attacked. Is there anything businesses can do to ensure that their inventory is less at risk in times of war? In what ways do inventory policies shift under the threat of war? That's a great question. And before answering, I need to distinguish between two cases. First case is when you look at regions that are under intense fire, destruction, total war. So, uh, for example, if we look at Kherson in the Ukraine. In these regions, I cannot, or my research cannot say anything new other than what is already known. So, simply put, business activities will, will large, largely come to a halt. Businesses will almost entirely drop operations until attacks continue to hit them directly. But if you look at, at most war regions, Territories, the majority of the territory is under the threat of war, but intensity is moderate or low, just like if you look at the center of the Ukraine right now. And in these cases, life continues mostly as usual under quotation marks because war is not being destructive and firms still have business interests and they still want to operate. And I started studying what happened to these businesses. The first thing that I found is that businesses still care as much, if not even more, about being reliable and about honoring their partnerships with their international firms. So a lot of times international businesses fear that supplies coming from war-torn regions will suffer intense disruptions, but most of the territory actually will continue to, to provide goods to the world as it did before to the world. And actually these firms will be more reliable than they were before the war. The reason is that these yeah. firms, they are paranoid about losing business ties with the world just because of the threat of war. So they start actually 
outperforming a firm in a peaceful region. Yeah, they've got to do more to ensure that they deliver so they end up outperforming. So in the case of war, a nation or a business is at a disadvantage. They're going to work harder to achieve these goals and be seen in the eyes of others as reliable and successful. Exactly. What really changes, and there are changes in these firms, but what really changes is that they will begin to adopt a lean inventory strategy. What is a lean inventory strategy? It's a strategy where firms only produce what is strictly necessary to fulfill their contractual obligations. So usually firms produce more than is needed. So they hold something that is called a speculative inventory. What is speculative inventory? They hold extra inventory. So for example, my uncle would hold extra sugar cane in case there is a price hike in sugar cane, he could sell it at a higher price. Or in case a buyer needs uh, an emergency shipment of sugar to supply that emergency shipment. But when the firm enters in work, they begin a zero inventory policy. They produce what is strictly necessary and they begin shipping smaller quantities more frequently. And the reason is they don't want to have that inventory in their firms. They see it as risky. So they produce sent immediately, produce sent immediately, produce sent immediately and more frequently. So you see that shipments in these supply chains start flowing all the time in much smaller quantities. How does this affect international businesses who rely on goods from suppliers who are navigating their inventories through conflict or war? This finding brings good news and bad news for international businesses. Good news is that they can count with, for example, their Ukrainian suppliers and they can rely on them as much or if not more than they could do before the war. The difference is that, and as I told you, they will expect now to receive, and this is normal, smaller, more frequent shipments from abroad as opposed to larger and frequent shipments. The bad news is that if you're counting on these suppliers to fulfill your last minute uh, mistakes in uh, you know, a forecast or a spike in demand, they will not be able to to satisfy you in that sense. They've lost any flexibility when it comes to inventory. What do you suggest firms do to continue functioning at a high standard if they rely on suppliers based in places experiencing conflict and war that threatens to disrupt supply chains? In general, my suggestion is for international businesses to redouble and stabilize demand from, for example, Ukrainian source goods. So if I'm importing, for example, you know, wheat or some commodity from a Ukrainian partner, I need to redouble all the forecasting. I need to be much more accurate about how much I'm going to order from this peer. And if possible, do long-term contracts that are stable as opposed to relying in last-minute uh, demands. And it needs to be a much more long-term horizon planning. The other thing that I find is a lot of difference between downstream and upstream firms. Downstream firms are retailers, firms that interact directly with consumers and there are like uh, retailer stores etc whereas upstream firms are the ones that produce commodities and typically deal with the downstream businesses in downstream sectors what i find is that they react very quickly to war but much more subtly whereas upstream firms like agricultural farms etc the effect of war would be will be felt in many months just because production lead times are very big or, you know, agricultural production takes months. But when the, the impact of war is felt on the upstream, it will be a very much larger impact. So if you're sourcing from upstream commodity producers in the Ukraine, 
you will feel the war and you will feel it, this impact quite strongly in six, seven months time versus if you're sourcing from a retailer, you'll feel as much more moderate impact in just a couple of weeks. Yes, due to lead times, as you said, with regard to how much inventory exists. I'm wondering how possible it is for different kinds of businesses, such as maybe a restaurant chain in a city versus an agricultural facility to adapt. Well, I think we saw something similar, or we were in a similar dilemma with COVID. Something huge came. The economic and social order have changed when COVID started erupting. Something that businesses showed just like uh, individual beings showed, is that we're extremely resilient and we can adapt. There's a surprising amount of flexibility in business practices and in supply chains, and they managed to work around the crisis. And the worst thing is the panic. There are horrible things about war, but a, a lot of the business impacts, the wars come out of panic and not for the actions itself. Typically, most businesses have some built-in policies around times of crisis. They're prepared to some extent or another for crisis to happen. Not necessarily war, but something that's going to make them pivot or adjust. So I come back to this question of, is it possible for companies to shield their supply chains in times of war, or should they look mostly at making adjustments to fit whatever circumstances they're under? I, I love this question because I actually learned something this past two weeks. To answer your question directly is that it is impossible to chain a supply chain. We shouldn't try to chill supply chains from war. But in fact, what I learned these two weeks is that supply chains are perhaps the most important way to suffocate war today. It is the best weapon that we have right now. So you, need, you see Merck's, the shipping giant is using supply chains to put pressure on Russia. Retailers are moving out. Financial supply chains are an extreme source of pressure to suffocate war. So what we're seeing right now is that for the first time I think I've ever seen supply chains are used as a weapon for peace. And I think the biggest lesson is that supply chains should not fear war, but war should fear supply chains. Because supply chains care about peace and order. And if we use them correctly, they can be extremely powerful for this. That's heartening to hear. And it reminds me that if the thought of another world war is on people's minds, we do live in a very different time than the last one. In that today, international supply chains connect every country. I think most of us hope that entire countries and business sectors are not looking at this war as a profitable situation. And with all the damage that supply chains has done to the world, you know, from uh, corporate social responsibility, environmental destruction, all these evils that the supply chains have brought out to society, this might be one of the redeeming qualities that it has, that it cares about international partnerships and economic order. Just war shouldn't be a reason by itself for shielding from developing countries. I think the, that the fact of getting involved in, in developing nations brings a lot of evils in supply chain. There's a lot of evils out of supply chains, but it also creates international ties that prevent war. So war and supply chains are just inherently bonded and uh, businesses could be doing beneficial efforts in pro of peace by getting involved in, in war-prone regions. As you said earlier, keeping the supply chains flowing is still an act of peace, at this point at least. 
Yes, there are companies in developing nations whose success may go hand in hand with conflict. But your research is saying, let's look at what business as usual is and what business during war is, that it's possible to maintain livelihoods and industries. But maybe the way we do business needs to change. That's completely right. I don't want to be a defendant of international supply chains because I've shown also in other research that there are many evils. I have my own personal reservations against supply chains, international supply chains for many reasons, but I don't think war itself is a reason to shield it. That's something people need to hear. Thank you, Professor Serpa, for talking about your research and its immediate relevance to the war currently going on in Ukraine. While every war and every conflict happens under different circumstances in countries with different histories and politics, they are all connected to international supply chains today. So while it's vital to look at these conflicts in specifics, it's also important to understand them in global terms, whether politically or entwined with the intricacies of supply chains and business management. You've been listening to the Delve Podcast. Delve is the official thought leadership platform of McGill University's Desotel Faculty of Management. I'm Robin Fadden, your host for this episode, and our guest was Professor Juan Camillo Serpa. You can find out more about Delve at delve.mcgill.ca and follow Delve McGill on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Subscribe to the Delve McGill podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps. Thank you for listening.